Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Four minutes past 12 o'clock. Good afternoon to you. How are you doing and how has your Thursday been so far? I'm Nikki Severini. Always happy to be with you on this Thursday on the DL Link show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination here on 101.9 High FM. And wow, how time is flying. So last week we dedicated the show to mothers um, and there were parts of the show that were incredibly uplifting and there were parts of the show that were very sobering um, with the shared story of a, being a mother to a daughter who has been facing cancer for many years and um, just you know that's, that's what we bring um, during each show uh, here on, on the DL Link show. So today we've decided to focus on men we're looking at um, how men deal with um, um, a diagnosis, a cancer diagnosis how men are dealing with um, depression. We've spoken about it before um, when we were looking at uh, cancer, prostate cancer, looking at how men don't tell others that there are not many instances when men can share how they're feeling and why the risk of suicide in men is four times higher. So we're going to be looking at that. But we're going to be starting the show. Um, we had Yom HaShoah, and uh, Yom HaShoah is a day when we look back um, on the Holocaust and we remember those who suffered um, the terrible, terrible losses. Um, a friend of mine was in Israel on that day. She was in Jerusalem. And she said, what an incredible thing that as the alarm goes off, everybody just stops what they are doing and the remembrance uh, and the honoring um, of those that have passed. So we are going to be talking about Yom HaShoah as well in a way. Um, I'm, I'm really delighted to introduce my next guest. I've had her on different shows on many occasions and it's always a real delight to introduce Tracy Farber onto the show. Tracy is a clinical psychologist and she really does delve a lot into trauma around the Holocaust. Um, and she's written an article, she recently wrote an article for the Jewish Report, Holocaust Studies Offer Lessons in Trauma and Resilience. And we're going to be unpacking that and looking at how relevant is that all these years later? What are we learning? Um, how has the world changed? And um, the way we deal with trauma and resilience, is it different or will it always be the same? Does the context just change? So Tracy, welcome. Great having you on the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Very happy to be here. Oh, Tracy. So, as I said, Yom HaShoah, it's come and it's gone. And every year it is a remembrance, a sobering remembrance. But people do ask the question time and time again. It happened a long time ago. Mm. We've had so many tragedies. And the Jewish people have been through so many tragedies um, over the times. Why is it that we keep going back to the Holocaust? What are, what are we what are we gaining going back time and time again? Do you think, in your opinion? Well, you know, I'm very. I I think that's more of a sociological question. Um, so I'm not going to go too much into it because I'm not a sociologist. But what I will offer. But in your opinion. Okay. What I will offer is to say that I think that the recent anti-Semitism that sprung up all over the place makes us all feel threatened. And I think as a people, the Holocaust was the worst genocide that's happened to us in recent times. And so I think that the anti-Semitism reminds us about, you know, how we did suffer. But as I say, my research, what it looked at, because I'm a psychologist, not a sociologist, 
is to look at the long-term impact of the Holocaust. And in doing that, I also looked at um, child survivors. I had to do, I didn't study them, but I had to look at child survivors from Rwanda, from Cambodia, different Holocausts and genocides that have happened even in more recent times, and looked at what is the long-term impact of that. So I think that the relevance of my study and the relevance of the Holocaust is that we're saying this is the injury that happens to people when they go through this kind of a genocide as children. This is what happens to them through their life, and this is the pain that they carry in their old age, and we can generalize it from our Holocaust to other genocide survivors. And what we perhaps need to be asking ourselves is why is it that in our world um, uh, genocides and wars keep happening, mm. and we don't seem with all our technology to be able to necessarily prevent that from happening, and it does have a human cost. Hmm. Thank you, Tracy. I love that explanation. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thank We're going to take a quick break. And then after break, let's start looking at the nine people, the, the, the elderly people that you interviewed who were teenagers and children um, in the time of the Holocaust and just what you found from that research. We're going to be right back. Thank you. Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008. Thank you so much for staying with us. 101.9 Chai FM. Um, if you've just tuned in, I have Tracy Faber in the studio, clinical psychologist, talking about a study that she um, conducted um, interviewing nine elderly survivors of the Holocaust. Um, and what's so sad, Tracy, is that they're less and less survivors of the Holocaust. And so now we're going back to material that, you know, that's been recorded, but you still have this incredible access and these were children and and teenagers during the time of the Holocaust. So yes. we as parents today, right, we want to protect our children and and we don't want them to suffer in any way, in any form. We want to try and turn the volume down when we hear about terrible things that are happening in the world. All of these things, and and yet still our children are affected. You still have the depression. You still have anxiety. In fact, there's so much anxiety in our children today. Now we go back in time. We go back to a moment, a, a period of time where we, we can't even get our head around what it would be to be a family. And in the middle of the night, you're called out of your apartment or your home and you're split up. And sometimes you are with a sister or with a mother and sometimes you never ever see your family ever again. And the atrocities that you have to see and how you overcome that. And so, so again, it goes back to this. We always remember. We remember that time. And how do we relate as people today who we just want to turn the volume down so our children don't hear about a terrible robbery? How can we possibly relate to that shock? The, the dividing of family. Mm. I, I don't think there's anything worse. I really don't think there's no, anything there, I worse. I don't think that there is anything worse either. And, and what the main finding of my PhD research was, was that when those children lost their parents and their parents died, whether it was in the ghettos or in the concentration camps, the, the grief and that, that sense of loss they carried with them over the trajectory of their lives and right into old age. Even if they were resilient, high-functioning survivors, when one started to speak to them about their losses, they said that that grief they still carried with them and they never got over, which speaks to your comment about could there be anything worse for a child to lose both their parents and their siblings and their communities and their countries and to be... Um, 
to be subjected to such cruelty and horror. No. And displaced exactly. and everything. Exactly. Mm. No, I don't think that there could be anything worse mm. for a child. Mm. So let's talk about resilience. Um, and let's talk about these people. You talk about high-functioning survivors going out there, having families, making successes of themselves, um, contributing to the world. How? Where, where does that kind of resilience come from? Because in the bit of reading that I've done, they've said that with children, what builds a resilience in a child is having an adult in their life um, who can d- help them deal with the ups and the downs. These are children who didn't have that. In fact, if anything, they were fighting for their survival. Yes. But what I do want to bring the point back to in the beginning, which is how is it relevant and what have we learned? Mm-hmm. And I've tried to build a model of resilience that we can apply now, yes. which, which I won't go into now because it's a little bit separate. But the reason I'm bringing it up. I'd love to up, do it another time. Okay, that's fine. I'm very happy to. But the most important thing to bring up is that when I interviewed these survivors, because I'm a clinical psychologist, I looked at their early developmental yes. families, their relationship with their mommy, their daddy, when they were younger, their siblings, and got a picture of that. Mm -hmm. And that builds resilience. Love builds resilience Mm -hmm. in one simple sentence. And, yes, we have children. And when you say that, sorry, love builds resilience, does it have to be love with a mother and a father, or can it just be some kind of figure that they love, an auntie, a granny? It can be. Well, it's certainly first prize if it's a primary attachment, which Mm -hmm. would would be a mother or a father. But there are some people who have resilience which we can't really pinpoint how and why. And the point is to be able to take the love that's available and make the most of it. But, for example, in my study, most of the children that I spoke to had a good attachment with at least one parent. And we know research-wise, there was research done in 1985 by a psychiatrist named Rutter, who said that when you are looking at the resilience of a child, you need an attachment to one parent, parent. which gives hope to a lot of single parents. And it doesn't mean that being a single, having a single mother isn't damaging, but what it does mean is that when there's a good attachment with one parent it doesn't have to be brilliant just a good enough loving attachment with one parent it gives a child a sense of themselves as being lovable as being important in the world and then that child has the ability to have hope and to find their way through trauma it doesn't mean that they're not injured but they are able to regenerate themselves through the hope through the memory of the love and to rebuild so with these nine people that you interviewed, that's what you found, that in their, their early childhood, they had that. They, they had yes. that, an attachment to most, someone. Yes, most of them. And those that didn't, like I had one person who lost his mom when he was two, and he went through the Holocaust when he was much older. Mm-hmm. He coped, he coped, he really didn't cope well at all. He struggled much more. So, of course, what they went through in the Holocaust was terrible, and it did have an impact. The other thing that is important about resilience is how does a community meet a traumatized child? Because what I also found was that those children who were welcomed in South Africa and who adjusted well were able to march forth in their lives and be more creative and resilient. Resilient. Whereas those that battled socially or battled with teachers when they got here and were just permanently lost they struggle to move forward. And both of what I found as far as parental attachment and community support was echoed in previous research. In other words, I found it, but it had been found before. The importance of an attachment with a parent and the importance of 
uh, of a supportive community, which I think gives us all hope in some way. Because when we hear about terrible traumas in the here and now, we know that the most important thing we can do is reach out to those people in mm. whichever way we can because mm. it makes a big difference. Mm. What a huge difference it huge, makes. Huge, huge, yeah. So, so let's talk about the trauma aspect of that. So you, they, they have an attachment. They can come from a loving, loving background. That helps tremendously. But facing what they faced, seeing what you can never unsee what you've seen, never. that kind of trauma. Never. So you can come back, you survive, you have a supportive community, but what do you do with the trauma? Well, this is, this is, this is what happens is that, for example, I had one woman who came, she had a, she survived with her mother, she came, she had a great supportive community, she met her husband, she had children, she was traumatized by nightmares. For 30 years, mm. she kept dreaming that the Germans were attacking her own present children in South Africa, yeah. and she couldn't get rid of this trauma. And at certain instances, like her birthday, she couldn't celebrate her birthday because on the day of her birthday, there was an enormous destruction of her ghetto where there were terrible traumatic memories. So the main finding of my research was that even in the people that had had resilient backgrounds and had had you know, quote unquote, good lives. When they reached old age, they still carried with them a terrible sense of grief about their losses, and it was a parallel life that they had—a life on the outside where they did the best that they could, and a life on the inside where many of them lived with post-traumatic stress symptoms like nightmares and certain flashbacks, and also this unending mourning. Wow. I'm, I'm interested to know, do they all, could they all recall very clearly the trauma that happened? Because so often you hear of children who've experienced ab- abuse. They never yeah. realize that there was any kind of abuse and it only comes out later on in life. Yes. But yes. I suppose it's one or two instances, something like this ongoing. I don't know, what, what, what are your findings? Okay, so what we're talking about there is memory and how that gets affected by trauma. And what happens is that we have, uh, Something that's very prominent in the literature at the moment, which is called dissociation. Mm. So for lots of children and for lots of people going through trauma, they, they connect their, they disconnect their brain and their emotions and they shut their emotions down because what they're going through is just about survival. Mm -hmm. And it's not a time to cry or scream or, or to vent their feelings at all because it's a fight fight story for survival. So for many of them, they did remain quite emotionally numb. That was one of the impacts of the trauma. But for many of them, the memories were still there as far as possible, Hmm. the ones that I spoke to. Okay, Tracy, we're going to take a break. We're going to be back. Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. 101.9 High FM, the DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. What a fascinating discussion we're having with clinical psychologist Tracy Farber. Um, her latest piece in the Jewish Report, Holocaust Studies, offer lessons in trauma and resilience. Nine people were interviewed um, and so many insights gained, Tracy, um, just looking at the resilience and looking at the trauma, how they've lived their lives and, and really interesting about the inner and the outer world. And that's the extreme, but we all can identify with living the inner and the outer world, how we are in the outer world and how we are inside Absolutely. and the disconnect that happens. So what else, was there anything else that really um, just spoke very loudly 
to you after doing this kind of research that's relevant for us today and for you as a clinical psychologist today? Yes, I think that what I really learned was I've worked as a trauma therapist and a psychotherapist for years and one often sits with ter- and one hears terrible stuff and one feels very helpless thinking what can I do? How can what I do make a difference? And that's a universal experience for a lot of young trauma therapists, young therapists when they first start out. Mm-hmm. But when I listened to many of these survivors and they so appreciated having an opportunity to tell their story in such an emotionally poignant way. And I also read about other therapists who'd taken testimony from survivors. I learned the importance of what it means to sit and listen and how we all mm. need our stories to be witnessed with empathy. And the, the the power of listening, the power of giving testimony and the power of empathy is such an important thing. And it taught me as a therapist that going forward, when I hear terrible stuff, I don't have that same sense of helplessness because I understand the power of listening Mm. and I understand the power of empathy and understand the power of therapy for many people because it is their opportunity to unpack the trauma that they've carried for so many years. And they've probably, I mean, how many people, I wonder how many people they've had the opportunity of sharing that kind of trauma with. Absolutely. Wow, very, very powerful. Thank very you. powerful. Thank so, you. so just Trace, before I do say goodbye, um, because as I said, I mean, I started the show and I said, what do we, we remember that day and we honor and we, 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 that in Israel that everyone just stops, this entire country stops to remember and honor and the relevance of going back to that particular time. We live in a world today where it's relatively peaceful, you know. Yes, there are lots of things happening and we, we can be bombarded by the terrible things that are happening, but it is relatively peaceful if you compare it. And yet we've got so many cases of anxiety and depression. So when you're interviewing nine people who have really been through trauma, you get that. And it's not taking away from people who living today. But what do you have to say about the world that we live in and the rates of depression and anxiety that we have today? Well, we do know that at the moment that the rates of anxiety and depression are sky high. Mm. Um, we, we know that they are. So um, I would just say that in a world like today mm. where we there's definitely something missing. And for me, I, I, I listen to a lot of of theorists, someone like Brene Brown, who's mm-hmm. speaking a lot at the moment, mm-hmm. and she's saying that the world needs empathy and, you know, the world needs human connection. And I think that that's of, that that's, that those are the voices that we need to listen to, the voices that give us hope, that there is the, the power of love and the power of connection that can help and that, you know, people need to have their problems addressed and that there is a forum to try and help and, to just feel like we can still make a difference and not get overwhelmed by the statistics we hear about mm. the pain in the world. Mm, yeah. And then read factfulness and then you'll see that it's not as bad as we think it is. Yes. Which is quite interesting, really. Yes. Really. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Always a, a delight having you on the show, Tracy. Thank Take you. care. And thank, thank, thank you for your insights. Thank you. Thank thank you. you. Um, Tracy Farber, um, just sharing um, her findings of, of interviewing nine Holocaust survivors and really, really interesting. But we're going to be speaking to, and I started off the show talking about um, depression in men and anxiety in men. And why are we talking about that? Because men, there's a four times higher chance that men are going to commit suicide. And what is that 
all about. So currently there is a great South African movie on um, and I have the main actor and in fact the writer um, of of this movie in the, in, in the studio, P.T. Bayers. Um, and it's fascinating because this movie really looks at depression and it looks at mental illness and mental illness is something that we Prince Harry and Prince William and their wives are talking about they're bringing it out into the open they're saying this is not something that we hide this is something we talk about many many people are suffering from it so a schemer son which actually means sun cry moon um, really tackles this head on so pity welcome Thank you, Nikki. So it's nice having so you on the nice show. Being here. I'm so happy to be here. It's amazing how it was so interesting, well, tragic and interesting. Really fascinating to listen to you and Tracy speak. Um, and some of the concepts dove, like dovetail, you know, the anxiety and things really well with this movie. And I just want to start by saying, Skimerson, I know because it's got an Afrikaans name, I almost, I don't have to apologize for it. Of course I don't. But just out of respect for English listeners, um, it's, it's, I don't want people to be put off by the fact that it's not in their first language. It just happens to be in Afrikaans because that, that's my first language. I'm bilingual. I was in a Jewish prim- pre-primary school. Um, <laughs> Welcome. Yes, thank you. It's <laughs> a, yeah, exactly. And, uh, but the movie does have English subtitles. I even speak a bit of Zulu in the movie because I've, I've been learning Zulu for a while. Gosh. But, but the reason for not only the English subtitles, but there's Zulu speaking as well is because dealing with what it's dealing with, it's, it's, it's not speaking in one language. It's a universal, I almost want to say a universal, a universal language of truth, mm. of honesty, mm. of emotion, mm. of vulnerability, of empathy, of kindness, of humanity. So whether it's, I don't see it as an Afrikaans movie and that's no disrespect to Afrikaans, but for instance, we're at Rosebank. That's, that's how you, that's how you wrote it. That I wrote it in Afrikaans. Yeah. That's 100% right. I just don't want to be anyone to feel, I don't want language to alienate anyone. Okay. I in fact want, it's, it's very interesting who's connecting with this movie. Very, very interesting because it's, I've, I've, I'm is? talking so, Tell us. well, well, I think to be honest, anyone who's giving it a chance, um, it, because I think the, 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 the theme or the topic of mental health is a scary one for lots of people because I think lots of people, I think, you know, um, the surface makes us feel safe, if that makes sense. Mm. And that's why people have small talk and talk about the weather at cocktail parties mm. because it doesn't, it doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't scratch under the surface. But what this movie Skirmerson does, which is, by the way, showing at Rosebank Nouveau as mm-hmm. we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to see it. I think you. I have made the commitment well, just, I'm, right I'm, now. I'm not actually. I can't wait. I'm not trying to like just gush now, whatever. But just from meeting you, right? Just our few seconds before this interview of chatting, looking in your eyes and just talking to you and seeing that you are someone that I can see empathy and honesty mm. just speaking to you. And I yeah. think anyone who has that, which I think under all the layers and insecurities and baggage that we all carry, we all share the fact that we are human beings and there's a humanity. There's somewhere, there's a through line in there. And, uh, it's, you know, so, so, so it's been at this right from the start. It's been a quite a, quite a tough thing to get people engaged with it because, well, well, let's 
speak just Why? Because, you, because you're saying it's mental health. Yes, because okay. because I think when you hear something's a love story, that's got a certain appeal to it. Mm. When you say something's a comedy, that sounds easy. When you say something's a story that concerns mental health, then people are like, ooh, that doesn't sound like an easy Friday night. Mm, I agree with you. Know? You know? Uh, but within that, uh, we... I don't want to use the word tackle. We approached and we dealt with this sensitive subject material because it's inspired by true events, because it's inspired by uh, my life largely. I won't say everything in the movie. Some of it is uh, dramatized for to make it a film, um, especially one of two of the most intense parts. Uh, but is but the but the but the place, the emotional place of vulnerability the the main character finds himself in is true to something i've experienced and i think ever since we started this movie came out and i just started talking about it so many people so many people have come forward and as tracy was also saying just wanted someone that that could listen to them Mm. and so many people it's like I've realized a connection. We, a I'm connection. not alone. I'm, I'm not, not alone. And, uh. and sorry, just I'll, I'll, I'm like just talking so much now. But it's you were talking about the inside versus the outside world, and I think on a world in a world where like social media and so much of our lives or what we put out there versus what's going on inside, this movie isn't the camera in this movie isn't like a fly on the wall seeing what's going on in a room. It's like the heartbeat of one individual seeing what goes on in the inside world mm. of someone going through a tough time. Mm. And I th- and we, we approached it with so much sensitivity and gentleness and softness that the movie's not there to shock you. We actually take very heavy subject material, but we present it as softly and kindly and generously as possible. Mm. So the movie's got a very, very stripped, soft, gentle feel to it. And... It's not, it's not, it's evocative rather than provocative. Okay. Okay. I love that. Thank you. Yes. So you put it out there that, yes. that you wrote it, yes. that it's very much, um, uh, an outward story of mm. your inner feelings. Absolutely. So you've suffered. I mean, and I even use the word suffered. No, suffered is the but, right but word. But let, let's suffered talk about right that. Word. Let's, I, I mean, I know OCD, mm. but let, let, but share. Yes. I mean, absolutely. What have you, what's your experience uh, been like? Absolutely. So, OCD, I think there's a bit of a misconception to, I mean, OCD, we all think it's become part of language. So it's o- obsessive compulsive disorder. disorder. Right. Which is, which is often linked to being, uh, you know, painfully neat or orderly, which is understandably like a visual being upset when something's not on its, at its place is a uh, part of it. But I think it's become, you know, it's become part of almost like lingo, which, but the real, real, there's a real, OCD, which is, which has its, there's something in it with that, but like, it's not as though, oh, everything needs to be neat. It's like, if something, and mine isn't at a visual level, I'm just trying to explain that version, mm-hmm. because I think that's the one we all understand, yeah. or the we've obsessive, seen movies, we've OCD, seen movies, or the obsessive, you know, exactly, washing of the hands, yeah. or those specific, like, almost stereotypical examples. It's not about, um, well, in my experience, it's not about, ooh, something's not on its place or my hands aren't clean and now I'm, you know, oh, that I need to clean it again. That, because that is like, oh, so big deal. And I think people that are, have a real OCD, it's not like you, th- you, you, you're not mad. So you realize that you're irrational, but it's a feeling. It's a feeling. So, 
when something's not on it at its place, it's a feeling that something, it's not that just something's not, a, you know, some things aren't perfect externally. It means that somewhere in yourself deep down, something isn't right. It triggers that. It, it triggers, triggers the That's feeling. exactly the okay. right word. It triggers a sense of unrootedness and anxiety. Yeah. So it's not about the external experience. It's about somewhere in myself there's a sense of dread and doom and anxiety and I'm to blame. What is going on? The world isn't – and it's very hard to explain mm. to someone that – but but that – I almost don't want to – I'm so happy to talk about OCD and anxiety and whatever. But just with this movie, Skiermerson, it's one story. It's one detailed example of one story, but it's one of millions of stories mm. because we all have our challenges. Yeah, for sure. You know, everyone, Absolutely. everyone in this room, everyone in this building, whether it is – whether it is – uh, psychological or emotional or financial or physical or health related. I think the overall sort of the, um, the actual what this movie is also about is not just OCD. That's the vehicle of telling a much bigger story of saying it's okay to have challenges. I think we all sometimes feel freakish in our minds because we're like, Oh my gosh, if someone just finds out about that, I'll be quite humiliated because that, 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 that. But we all have our unique set of challenges. And it's okay to have them and to be honest in yourself about them and then to deal with them. I think it's the opposite of denial. This movie is like kind of like our, our, that's the other thing. It's like, I think being honest about your challenges has been, it's maybe especially in masculine, um, we were talking, you were talking about men earlier specifically is the fact that I think there's this idea that, that, Men don't really talk about their feelings mm. or their vulnerabilities because mm. it's emasculating or demasculating. Um, but I think I'm just at a place in my life where, I mean, I'm a straight man. I've got gay friends. I've got friends. Well, it doesn't matter. But I've just found by speaking honestly about what is in my inside world has proven empowering because I can take ownership of that then. And also dealing with my honor challenges, honestly, I, when people do that, I don't see it as them being vulnerable. And be, I mean, I've seen it as being vulnerable, but I don't see it as them being pushovers. I see it as them taking ownership of their reality and as being brave. It's courageous rather than, oh, you're being a little bit blah, blah, blah. You know, this man well, is talking about his feeling. I think it's very empowering and I think it's quite well, yes. manly in a way. Well, yes, I, I absolutely agree. And it, it goes back to, we were talking about Brene Brown. Yes. And that she talks about empathy. And yes. obviously we all heard her talk, her TED talk all those years ago about vulnerability. And so this is what I find interesting, right? Because you've now written this movie and you're, yes. you're opening it up and people are talking about it and you're saying it's empowering as mm. a man to be able to do it. So the question, and, and there's no right or wrong because this is your personal experience, yes. but going through as a teenager, mm. because teenagers are, life mm. can be very tough and you're mm. up and you're down and you can't mm. control it and the anxious thoughts because OCD is really rooted anxiety. in anxiety, yes. right? That, that is the foundation yes. of it. So you are at a stage, I don't know how old you are, but there's confidence and now yes. you can put it out there exactly. and now you can impact. Exactly. Could you have had this conversation when you were a teenager? Wow. And how can we encourage teenagers to be able to share like you've shared so that it is a courageous connection. 
Wow, that's a In very your opinion. good No, absolutely. That's a very good question. I think the encouraging thing is the fact that the conversation is being opened up. Yeah. And that exposes people to other people's courageous testimonies. And that gives, that provides a platform of honesty. You know, I think I, when, when I was 15 years old, like I wasn't, I mean, I did, I was well adapted. I'm, uh, you know, rather, I just like at school and whatever, I, I didn't struggle with schoolwork or adapt or anything like that. I mean, OCD is a very internal thing. Anxiety is very, you can be the. Did num- you have it from, from, from um, when? Sorry um, to interrupt. No, 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 not at all. Right I think, I think that's quite, I think depression and anxiety, anxiety and those things can, can run through the genes. I think it can be passed over my, 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 both my parents' sides. They, I mean, they're very smart, but with that comes quite a bit thinking, of. Thinking, thinking, yes. thinking. Very Lots analytical. Thinking, yeah. Very, um, so for me, I get stuck in my mind for, yeah. for, at times. Yeah. I'm very stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be, it's everything in life. When it's a, when it's a great thing, it's got a flip side. You know, every light side is a yin and yang. So, so if you are very analytical in certain, if you, if you, um, um, apply it to something specific, it's going to be brilliant. But when you apply it to sort of the emotional basement in your brain, Things are going to get a bit, you know, it's cloudy. Yeah. It's nonstop. And just to answer your question, um, I wouldn't be able to have this conversation with the almost the objective perspective. And uh, because I'm interested in and because I have my own experience with anxiety, I've read up about it. I've seen people about it. I've talked about it. So I get it. More, I can't say I get it because it's, it's two different things to get it and to manage it. Yeah. But 15 year old, I also had, then at high school, I was sort of, I could feel a bit of anxiety, OCD thoughts coming up, negative thoughts about myself and hammering on it. But now I've got tools to manage it. And I think even just the two of us talking now about it, if someone listens to it and goes, Oh, well, my child, I often see that kind of thing and they can just, Talk to their child with a bit more empathy or understanding or just approach it with something like that. Then already we are paying it forward in a way, mm. you know, we mm. are whatever Brené Brown is saying, we are taking it and just, you know, planting those seeds. And I think those seeds of empathy grow and has a ripple effect to everyone. So empathy, I think empathy is, I'm so glad you brought that word up because the big goal of Skimerson, this movie, is to, I think, sort of introduce honesty and empathy in the kindest, most approachable way, and that people can provide, take that platform of honesty and provide it and uh, apply it to their own lives, whatever the detail in their lives may be, and to comfort them and to reassure them and to give hope and to show that there is always help out there. And that there is always hope. And you're not out there. alone. You are not. You're I can tell alone. you. Don't worry about it. You're not. And I'm very normal. I've got alone. lots of friends. Yeah. I do my thing. Absolutely. That's amazing. Is you know, it? I'm exactly. A, it doesn't come packaged. You know, it the, doesn't come packaged like that. We all have it. Absolutely. To a and, I, and I know we only have a certain amount of time, but I just want to say, and having anxiety or depression doesn't mean, I just want to destigmatize that thing. It doesn't mean you're crazy or weird or whatever. Right. I've had, I've been blessed with an amazing life, with amazing family, with amazing friends, with amazing opportunities. You know, I've led a really blessed life. And I'm not like – it can be crippling, but it can also be empowering. And I think if you're honest about what cripples you, you, it can empower you. So – 
just to love it. Yes. I love that. Listen, you're Thank not you. going anywhere. We're going to take Thank a you. break. I thought I was going no, to have no, to. No, no, wrap no, no, no. You started to panic and talk. No, I know. Stay I know. Yes. Oh, we have I'm going to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Nikki Seberini and uh, you're tuned to 101.9 High FM, the DL Link show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. Um, wow, so interesting. Pity Bears is an actor, a writer, a game show host yes, and an entrepreneur. Ah, I will have you, you know. Yeah. I will have you know. <laughs> thank you. Um, in the movie, we're talking about Skiermer Son. Yes. And um, that is the, the translation, Sun Cry Moon. Um, and I, I, as I said, unfortunately, I haven't seen it, but I watched no. so many trailers and Yes. Trying to do so much research yes. And it looks so exquisitely beautiful um, And these tender relationships yes. Between you and this older lady yes. And this younger girl I don't know more But yes. what I want to say is this So as an actor, yes. right You've given a script And you go, yes. can I become this character yes. And you go into the character yes. And you can lose yourself in the movie In the character So this for you must have been quite challenging Because you wrote it And mm. you're writing it from a personal experience From mm-hmm. what you've been through And now you you're acting in it So that's very different You know You can't just lose yourself Because This is what you've experienced How How was that experience for you? Nikki I love your questions uh, Really I th- It's You know what it does And I, this is going to This might sound very pretentious But it's the truth I'm yeah. just going to tell you the, the truth, truth now We love truth <laughs> The truth is That I've had a, I had a conversation with someone recently And we said It didn't feel like we We Put in effort to tell the story It felt like we were the channels It felt like the story Needed to be told I mm-hmm. promise you it really did mm-hmm. I worked so inc- incredibly hard Just to give you a physical example I lost 14 kilograms in 10 weeks <gasps> For this role Really? Yes And it, it and it's not necessary Because well my in, in 14 my, in kilos? Me, what are you now? Have you put them on? Or yeah I have put them on <laughs> I have put them been, on Because you're very no, seen was, You must have been skin and bones Well you'll see it, I mean it, I was skin and bones sure. it was, My girlfriend's luckily a doctor So she was kind of like Checking out that I'm fine okay. But um, um, You know What it did do Was It put almost like uh, Everything had to go Through A truth Filter mm. Because I, I'm, I'm so involved in the project Everything we did Everyone on set Everything we did It was like It's not What is the what is the hero of this project Often I think it's like In comedies it's probably like What's going to be the biggest laugh line What are people In this it was a filter of truth Like do we believe what we're doing Sure Because if we believe it If we don't believe it No one's going to believe it If we believe it Then it's going to come across Honestly, so everything from the start, I was like, I can do this character, but there's no, in no moment in the movie, I can be like self-aware of like, oh, how am I looking in this shot? It wasn't about that. No. It was like, is this where this, is this the absolute essence of truth, of vulnerability, of reality where this person will be right now? Sure. And if it, if it, if it passed that test, then it was good enough. Sure. No wonder um, you lost fourteen kilos. Yes, and, intense, and, and, eh? and some. Yes, and mm. somebody asked me the other day, was it worth? Like, was it? Was it? Um, not worth it, but was it necessary? And the answer is, is it wasn't necessary to convince you. It was necessary to convince me, mm. because it was necessary for me to go there, mm. and that's how I carried it. I felt it. 
um, I felt, for instance, someone in my family also struggles, battles, whatever you want to call it, with anxiety and went through a really tough time, lost so much, so much weight. And it's not everyone's version of dealing with it. Some yeah. people, some people, it's not related with food at all. Some people are just, um, you know, have no energy. So it, it can affect you, whatever your, Challenges are affecting different ways. Mm-hmm. There's multiple different ways of dealing with it, but it's just my connection was somebody not feeling good enough for food mm-hmm. in a way. So I felt like that's the way I want the second shot in the movie. In like literally the second shot, you see this character standing in front of a mirror without a shirt on. There's no nudity or violence or actually swear words in this movie because mm-hmm. it doesn't need any yeah, gimmicks yeah. or it doesn't need anything impure. It just needs the truth. But you see this character in the mirror, and I wanted the audience to know something is not right with this man, but I'm not sure what it is. And then to go on this journey with this character. Wow, yes. wow, wow. I can't wait. Skimmer Son. Yes. I Rosebank think, Mall. I think Cinema Nouveau. Nouveau. <laughs> there's a lots of places in, uh, quite a few places in Pretoria that shows it. There's, it is, it's, there's like from tomorrow onwards, there's 15 cinemas still. Okay. In the, in the country. We on must my, see it. Yes. On my Facebook page. Yes. Piti Bayers. Yeah. As an Afrikaans, Piti Bayers, you mm-hmm. can see where it's showing. But the easiest around here would be Rosebank Nouveau. Okay. Um, we are going. We're yes. all going. <laughs> Thank Nikki. It's We're so going. nice talking to you. Oh, so nice really. To you too, it really Kitty. is. I can see the kindness Don't go in anywhere. your eyes. Stay there still. Oh, yes. yes. I'm still here. <laughs> <sighs> Another exhale. He's still there. Yes. Thanks, Pity. Thank you, uh, Nikki. I can't wait to it's see it. It's lovely being we'll here. We'll chat again. I can't yes. wait. And so we continue. Um, we have a warrior in the studio. And when I read the information about this warrior, um, the first thing he says is, if I was a cat or dog, they'd put me down. Well, I don't know what to say about that. But, Andrew, it's lovely to have you. Is it Andrew Michel, Michel? Michael. Michael. There we go. Andrew Michael. Welcome. Thank you. So awesome having you on the show. Thank and you. I'm so delighted you're neither a cat nor a dog. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> so what does that mean, if I was a cat or a dog? Share your story, Andrew. Okay. Um, until about two years ago, just over, just under two years ago, I was yeah, fairly young and fit. You're still fairly young and fit, uh, may uh, I little, just say, little observing bit, you. I was yes? a little bit overweight. Four o'clock one morning, it's 4th of July year before last I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning as I said and I couldn't breathe properly <sighs> I found I think I found Hatsola and then I found my ex-wife and kids you just knew that there was something I couldn't something breathe I was, yeah. knew something was wrong went and opened my front door I live in a block of flats and I just made it back to my bed. And as I said, speaking to my ex-wife and my kids, they looked after me. Thing, the last thing I remember, well, look, I went to Mill Park Hospital and they operated me on me. They kept me in a coma for just over a month. Wow. Uh, when I, when they discharged me, I woke up and I, I really couldn't walk or anything. I had been, not moving for a month. I lost all my muscles. Fortunately, my ex-wife and my kids looked after me. They took me in for over six months. Uh, I then had kidney stones within a week or two of that. So you went to sleep feeling great, fantastic, and four o'clock in the morning your life changed. 
everything everything went changed. wrong. It's a long story, but as I say, I got kidney stones, then they discovered I had uh, prostate cancer and surrounds. They operated, or, well, they didn't operate, or they um, operated on me for my kidney stones, and they found it through that. I've had uh, radiation, hormone treatment, uh, and I seem to be coming right slowly. I'm still battling to breathe. I've got an ulcer since then. I've got all sorts of other things. She was, um, so Andrew, let's take a break. I think we all need a break after that. We're going to be back, so just stay right where you are. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Andrew Michael is in the studio, who is our DL Link warrior, just sharing a story two years ago. How your life changed, Andrew, and you're talking about it. it it's called, I said, why couldn't you breathe? It's, it's called an aortic? An aortic tear. An aortic tear. The vein that comes out of out of your heart to go back into your lungs and stuff, uh, literally tore and the doctors cut me open and sewed it up and... Saved uh, your life. Then you uh, got the kidney stones. Then, I, then the prostate cancer. And then Three an huge, and, huge, yeah. huge things. So when you first walked into the studio and I said to you, if I was a cat or dog, they'd put me down because that's what you've said. And you said, you know, if I was a horse, they'd shoot me. But you said something extraordinary as well, that you used to fear death. I think most people, yeah, uh, most people are scared of dying. Of course. Not, everybody has to die sometime. I think Woody Allen put it right in the, the way he put it. He said, uh, I don't mind dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the thing is that most people are scared and whatever, but there's nothing to be scared of when you think about it. The people that are really going to suffer, the, the ones that you leave behind. Are you saying this from your experience? From is own, this what you came out with? To my own, totally my own experience. Not everybody agrees with me, but um, it's the way I feel. Um, I was um, diabetic. They managed to cure that, and well, not, I'm not allowed to say I'm cured. I'm in remission. Wow. Um, but I've spoken to everybody, and I'm what I've got left of my life. I'm going to live. I'm going to try and enjoy. I'm not going to go home and die. Even sure. if it's dying slowly. Mm. If I die tomorrow, at least I will have done whatever I wanted to do. So was this a wake-up call for you, yeah. would you say, Andrew? So, so before fearing death, not really living in the moment, and you say that this is, with all of these challenges, has changed the way you see and experience your world. Yeah, and sure. to see the people that are there for your support. As I said, it was... It's my ex-wife, my kids and stuff who haven't been living with me. Um, and dear Link, touch wood, I'm not superstitious. I'm just not taking chances. Um, <laughs> we'll all touch it, okay. I haven't needed DL Link in the thing. They are fantastic people to have around. They organize uh, meetings. As they Yesterday there was a, um, a thing where everybody did yoga and stuff, yes. which is not my style. <laughs> but the thing is that I haven't needed them, things, but they are such a fantastic group if you do ever need them. The fact is that they're there. 
if you go to hospital and or radiation or, or, or chemo or whatever it is, and you haven't got transport, they will arrange transport for you. They'll, they, you want a meal when you're finished after radiation or, or, and or any of the other. They're, 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 they're really a fantastic mm. group of people, mm. and most of them are volunteers. From what I've seen, just about all of them are volunteers, mm. and they can all they all they will all they really go out of their way just to help you. They don't ask for anything in return. They're just a really fantastic... Great bunch of people. A great bunch mm. of people. Mm. They, as I say, I haven't needed them, but it is so nice to know that there's somebody to fall back on. You do. Mm. If you're ever in really deep uh, trouble, the, the fact is that they'll be there for you. They'll They'll come and visit you in hospital. They'll do all the things... And Andrew, I, I want to ask you something. Um, so, so th- this change in you, the, all of these, the challenges that you've had, you've come away thinking life is to be lived. I no longer fear death. I, I want to live my life. And I've been talking to Pity about anxiety. We've been talking about mental illness. We were focusing on that a little bit earlier. Do you have your dark moments? I mean, you've... You know, um, to be in a coma for a month, to wake up and have all of these challenges, and if so, how do you deal with it? Well, even before that, I was uh, depressed. I'm, I've been on medication for many years for my depression. I'm not ashamed of it. I don't go and advertise it, but I'm not ashamed Good of it. Good for you. I carry on my life and things. One of the things about being in the so-called induced coma is... Um, I've got it, and apparently it's a, it's a regular thing if you're in an, a coma for any length of time, anything longer than a couple of days, you get paranoid. And I thought everybody was out to kill me. Sure. I thought everybody from the nurses to the doctors to the this or that were all Muslim terrorists. And because I was Jewish, they wanted to kill wow. me. Wow, right. Uh, I don't know about the doctors and the nurses. They were fantastic to me, apparently. They they looked after every need that I had. But according to my messed up mind, they th- I thought that they were out to get me. And now? You're uh, fine? Now I'm fine. Uh, it did take me a long time to get over that yeah. feeling. Every time I... Just even sure. thought about it and it talked about the doctors and stuff. I got really, uh, I was even crying at times because, sure. but I have got it. I still take my medication. I will be on it for the rest of my life and it's not the end of the world. It's mm. apparent. There's a hell of a lot of people that are. In the same situation. Well, I thank you for sharing it. I thank you for coming on to the show and and being vulnerable. And you, Pity, we spoke about vulnerable mm. and connection and people listening, and that's important. We need to be talking about it. So we've got to wrap up. Thank you for providing Thanks, us the platform, Pity. Nikki. Thanks, Andrew. So Especially wonderful welcome. having these two Yay. lovely men in the studio talking about their innermost feelings. Yes. In in the a way that we should all be right. Times they are a changing. Thank you guys. It's been awesome having you both on the show. Skiermer Son at the Rosebank Cinema Nouveau. Andrew, thank you. And we wish you good health. Good yes. health. And thank you for tuning in. It's been wonderful spending the past hour with you. 
I hope you have a fantastic week. For me, Nikki Seberini, until next week, take care. Goodbye.